My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 60. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to another edition of My Car Guru. I had an appointment this morning. I had to get up early and be at the hospital at 7 a.m., which that's not that early. But it felt early because I had to have an echocardiogram. You know what an echo is? That's what they use to see babies in their mommies before they're born. So I got the, they got to look at my pumping action on my heart. Why? Well, I have a, a an engine miss. I've got, uh, well, it feels like an engine miss. I've got something called PVCs, preventricle contractions. You may be having them as well. It's that extra little fluttering that you feel in your chest or extra beat that you feel, and you ought to try to go to sleep when that's going on. So anyway, they're trying to figure out why that's happening. The medicine that they give have given me is helping, but it's not making them completely go away. So they're doing all these tests, and I'm just kind of going along with it. It does help to have a brother who happens to be a retired cardiologist, recently retired cardiologist, and he gives me advice with a minimal charge. Not really. He doesn't charge me anything. I get a free diagnosis, even if he is wrong half the time. No, he's not. He's he's a good brother. He's my older brother. Wendell was born in 1954, the first child of Max and Barbara Lawson. And uh, that he was uh, the car nut, really. I mean, the kid started collecting, well, really, before he started collecting car magazines, it was Tonka Toys and Matchbox Cars, Matchbox cars and Gorgie Toys. You remember, the, or Corgi. Is it Corgi or Gorgie Toys? Well, he had all of those, and I really didn't care about cars when I was young. Uh, I, all I cared about was playing Army uh, or Civil War. I was always in the Union. I don't know why. We were in West Virginia, I guess, because, you know, West Virginia went with the Union. Most of it did. Southern West Virginia didn't. Come to find out, when I did all of the ancestry stuff, every single one of my relatives were Confederates. So there you have it. So let's talk cars in the car business. You ever heard of the Federal Trade Commission? Well, they're after motor vehicle dealers right now. They have a new ruling that was published. Basically, it's a proposal to crack down on certain activities that car dealers traditionally have done. Not all car dealers, but a lot of them. Uh, the first one is a rule that prevents dealerships from tricking customers into buying added products and paying exorbitant junk fees, in quotes, for dealer-provided indirect financing at the dealership. Now, on the surface, that sounds like a good thing, but what are they talking about? Well, they're talking about when a dealership, well, like if you were to come into Gateway Ford today and you wanted to finance through uh, Ford Motor Credit or Eastman, uh, Tennessee Eastman, which is a credit union, or some other bank, then they are complaining about the fact that the dealer gets paid by the banks to arrange that financing. Now, does it cost the consumer any more? Well, it can if the dealership actually marks up the rate, but most banks and credit unions won't allow you to do that. Uh, the rate is what the rate is at the bank or at the dealership, so it doesn't matter. So it's called dealer reserve, and that's where dealers, again, can make money in the uh, 
with the financing of cars. Why did banks do that? Well, back in the 70s, uh, early 70s, uh, there was no uh, what they called indirect lending, where the dealership could actually do the paperwork for the consumer in the dealership and for the bank. So that relationship didn't exist. You had to leave the dealership, go to the bank, borrow your money, and then come back to the dealership. Well, now it's all done internally, and it's been done that way since the mid-'70s when I first got into the car business. So it was a convenience thing for the bank and for the consumer. They didn't have to leave. Well, dealers started uh, abusing that, and that's what they're taking aim at here, which I think is a reasonable thing to do. Now, right now, most of the banks just pay a flat fee to the dealer. It's just a fee for arranging the financing and sending it to their bank. They appreciate the business. They appreciate us capturing that customer for their bank because if somebody finances a car through a bank, then that's the beginning of a relationship, and the customer may end up opening a checking account or a savings account or whatever or an investment account. So the banks are willing to pay dealers for that privilege. So I think it works pretty well for both. And it, and it doesn't hurt the consumer either. Only It only hurts the consumer if the consumer actually has to pay a higher rate because they're going through the dealer, which the dealer has marked up the rate. You can always ask the dealer, have you marked up this rate any over your buy rate? Now that would be the secret words from the guru. All you'd have to say to the, to the uh, salesperson, now this finance rate that you're quoting me, is that the buy rate? for the dealership, or are you marking it up? And they'll look at you like with this blank stare. And they'll, well, I have to go check with my manager. So they go check with the manager, and manager comes over and said, how'd you know we marked up the rate? Um, I listened to the car guru, and the manager says under his breath, we're going to have to do something about him. They haven't done anything about me yet. So what else are these people at the FTC looking for? Uh, Add-on products like extended warranty, service contracts, uh, payment programs, guaranteed automobile or asset protection. That's called gap insurance. That's what you'll hear. Emergency road service, VIN etching, theft devices, undercoating, blah, 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 all that stuff. They don't want you to buy that unless you know it. I've talked about that till I'm blue in the face on this. That's what happens when people buy based on the monthly payment alone is unscrupulous dealers will pack the payments full of this kind of stuff. And so you end up having a $425 payment on a $350 payment car. So that's why you have to pay attention. The FTC doesn't want It's already against the law to do it. I don't know why they have to create some other kind of rule to you know, prevent dealers from doing something that they already have a rule against. So who knows? It's government at work. Okay, what else are they angry about? Oh, yeah, bait-and-switch advertising tactics which that's when a dealer says that they're going to do something on a particular vehicle, and then when you go to the dealership, it's already sold. But you can have this one. It's only $25 a month more. So that's bait and switch. They don't want us to do that. We don't do it anyway, but a lot of dealers do in their advertising. Not as many as used to, though. I mean, when there was a lot of newspaper advertising and dealers were just trying to make sure they had the lowest number in the paper, you really had to be careful to read the fine print. Well, now there's no hope of being able to read the fine print on a television ad or a radio spot. Have you heard these radio commercials that some of these dealers do where you have the really fast talker at the very end or at the very beginning? 
where you know they tell you all these deals, buy this car for $149 a month, buy this car for $99 a month, and at the very end of the ad you hear, and you can't understand what they're saying. Those are the dealers that you need to stay away from. If they have to do that in an advertisement, there's something that they don't want you to know. Does that make sense? If they wanted you to know it, they would have said it so you could understand it, not with all that stuff at the end. But the government already requires these disclaimers. But it's a joke because nobody can understand what they're saying. So the best advice that I could give you is just to stay away from them. Don't go to the dealer that has the gibberish at the end of it. And that applies to television as well, but most of the time you're going to hear it on the radio. So anyway, all right, let's move on. Let's take our first break, and I'll be back here in just a minute. Okay, welcome back. Here's something actually in the news that it's about time that somebody would report the truth. Gas-powered cars won't die off anytime soon. According to this article from Axios, Americans are keeping their vehicles longer than ever. Good news for repair shops, but bad news for anyone expecting a rapid phase-out of gas-powered cars. Who would? Well, I guess the government wants that. Mr. Biden wants that. Why does it matter? Well, the longer people hold on to their internal combustion cars, the longer it will take to replace those vehicles with newer, more environmentally sustainable technology. That means electric vehicles. So driving the news is the average age of light vehicles on the road in the U.S. is now at an all-time high of 12 and a half years. People are keeping cars longer. Why? It's because they call, the new ones cost so much, and a lot of people can't afford them, especially right now with the interest rates as high as they are. Although, you know, we have 0% financing through Ford, and we have... 1.9% financing and two point. We have all kinds of special rates for customers. We thought those kind of things were gone during the pandemic, and they were because we didn't have enough cars to sell. But now the cars are starting to come in and inventories are starting to build a little bit. So the manufacturers are getting all nervous. So they got to figure out how to incentivize people to buy cars. And that's how they're doing it with low interest rates. There's some rebates out there too, but not much. And we really have. I would say less than zero interest right now in EVs. Uh, occasionally we'll have somebody come in and want to order. Well, I take that back. We did order two Lightnings last week for folks, which is the all-electric F-150. Uh, we've had a, uh, a Mach-E GT for a while, longer than I thought we would. That's a That's a hot rod, kind of a sporty electric vehicle. So... I mean, it's not like people are knocking the doors down. Now, that may be different on the West Coast or the Northeast where people have more money and, and I guess, more inclination to think about things like global warming and stuff like that. We don't worry about that around here. Maybe I should speak for myself, which I just did. Uh, the U.S. urges recall of 67 million airbag parts in a safety mess. Now, this impacts a company real close to my hometown of Greenville, Tennessee. We live in Upper East Tennessee. So there is a Upper East Tennessee, there's a East Tennessee, and there's a Western East Tennessee. I guess that's near Nashville before it becomes Middle Tennessee. Lots of states here in the state of Tennessee. 
But anyway, we live in Upper East Tennessee. Well, in Knoxville, there is a Tennessee-based company called ARC Automotive, and they are fighting uh, the U.S. government, and they are going to lose because the regulators have urged the recall of 67 million airbag inflators. Ever heard that before? Remember the Takata? I had a hard time saying that. I stuttered. Takata airbags? They were in a lot of vehicles, a lot of vehicles that we sold, Hondas, Toyotas. Everybody had Takata airbags. Well, they were going off unexpectedly, or when they did go off, they were shooting shards of metal into the passengers of the vehicles. Instead of just the airbag, there was uh, somebody was like shooting knives at them, and it killed a lot of people. It's nothing to laugh about. It is a serious thing. But now they're going after this one company, 67 million airbags. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration identified at least nine cases of ruptured airbag inflators that led to injuries, including two deaths, dating from 2009 to as recently as this past March. And they are made in Knoxville, Tennessee. That company will not survive this. I hope they have a lot of insurance. So you may be getting a recall. They haven't actually issued the recall yet, if they do. You will get a notice in the mail or by email from the manufacturer of your vehicle. So who pays for the recall? Well, initially, uh, the manufacturer does who sold the vehicle. So Toyota, Honda, Ford, Subaru, whoever has those airbags. Then they go back against their supplier, which would be, in this case, ARC Automotive. So we'll see what happens there. I'm just doing my best to keep you updated on what's going on in the car industry. And one thing you probably need to be concerned about in many dealerships is your information. So when you go to buy a car, you're going to, well, if you're going to finance the car, you're going to have to provide them with a credit application. Now, I had a guy not too long ago, a couple months ago, as a matter of fact, he went off like a Roman candle when we asked him for his Social Security number and his date of birth. I'm not giving you that information. Well, sir, we've got to be able to provide it to the bank so that we can finance the vehicle. Well, I'll give it straight to them, but I'm not giving it to you. People are sensitive about that, and to a large degree, rightfully so. I'm pretty cavalier with my information. I shouldn't be. Credit card information, I, I try to you know keep it close. But, man, I mean, just think. When you go to a restaurant, what do you do? You're getting ready to pay. You hand your credit card to some stranger, and they take it behind a room. And they charge stuff. It's one of the reasons why you need to check your credit card statement every now and then, especially if you're using a debit card. But that being said, I mean, we, we trust too much. And when you come to a car dealership to buy a car, you got to provide them with a lot of personal information. What happens to that information? Well, typically it's going to go to one of two places. It's going to go to the sales manager who will input your information into... Some, well, it's basically a software program called DealerTrack or Route One. Now, there may be a few others, but those are the two that we use, and they are very secure sites. And we put your information in there, and then we shoot that information to whatever bank we want to receive that information. So let's say that we are a little bit concerned about your credit because we have already looked at your credit report, and it's not good. You have a very low Beacon score. And so we would send your credit application to maybe two or three different banks to make sure that, well, 
in the hopes that we would get a good call, you know, for you, a good interest rate, good terms that would meet your needs and get your payment where you need it to be. Now, if you have outstanding credit, then we're probably going to send it directly to Ford or to Nissan. Now, in our instance, now if you're at a Honda dealership, they're not going to send it to Ford or Nissan. They're going to send it to Honda Motor Credit or whoever. So you may come in and say, no, I don't want it sent to anybody but my credit union. But it's important that you say that up front, okay? Because if you don't specify where you want your credit information to go to and and who you want to receive that loan from, then they're going to shotgun it in many cases. A lot of dealerships will send it to 10, 15 different banks at the same time. So what happens then? Well, you buy the car, you get financed through bank number one. Well, they send it to 10 different banks. So you know what's going to happen? Your mailbox is going to be full of a bunch of turndowns. And that's unfortunate because your information went a bunch of different places. And you didn't know it. You didn't want it to happen, so you need to make sure it doesn't happen. And the only way it's not going to happen is if you tell them you don't want it to happen. So control where your information goes, including in the dealership. If you fill out a credit application and it, the salesperson just lays it there on, the, on his desk there in the showroom, and then you go out and start looking at cars, is that smart? I don't think so. If I found one of my salespeople leaving a credit application of a customer on a desk, we're going to have a serious sit-down because that is a violation of their privacy and reckless behavior that we can get in, in trouble for. So, And I've found them. I hate to say it, but I have found them before. And uh, most of those people don't work for me anymore. I will forgive somebody if they do something once or twice, but the third time, it's they've struck out. So if you see that credit application laying there, just grab it, you know, or you mentioned to the salesperson, you can leave that laying around here. I'd prefer that to be in a secure place. Typically, they will take it over and, and take it to the uh, sales manager who will enter the data. Another place it may go is to the finance manager. Different dealerships do it a different way. Some dealers have their finance managers handle the entire finance transaction. Other dealers split up that between the the sales management who are actually uh, negotiating with you and the finance office. One way isn't any better than the other, and you know unless they are frivolous with the way they handle your information. So. What it, at our dealership, it goes directly to the uh, sales manager at the tower, what we call the sales tower, and then he locks it in a file beside him. It's very important that that happens. Otherwise, it could anybody could come around and see you know, what your social security number is or your date of birth or how much money you make or where your mortgage is. I mean, you don't, nobody else needs to see that. And then when the deal is actually done, if we sell the car, then the, those, your, your information goes into the deal folder, which goes into the office, and that's behind two combination locks to get into the office. And then when it's finally filed in our storage room, where where we have to keep documents for seven years, then that room is locked, and only two people, two, have the keys to that room. So we have cameras around and stuff like that. We want to make sure that your information is secure. And that's our responsibility, and we're required to do that. So, But you got to do your part, too. I mean, if you see some some frivolous frivolity, is that a word? If you see some people just kind of playing loose and easy with your documentation, I'd be concerned. 
I'd grab it. I'd leave because that's not where you want to buy a car. So anyway, I'm going to take my last break. I'll be back here in just a second. Okay, I am back. All of this government regulation could be totally avoided if two things would happen. One, dealers would behave. Number two, consumers would pay attention and would listen to the car guru when he says to never buy a car based on the monthly payment, protect your personal information, negotiate from the sales price minus the trade to the trading difference, and do not buy any product such as an extended warranty or gap insurance or paint protection or any of that stuff, unless it makes sense for you and your needs. I mean, if you keep a car a long time, you're going to be putting a lot of miles on it. You're worried about expensive repair bills, and you can get a a service contract that will pay for unexpected repairs, and it just makes your your car payment go up $15, $20 a month, and, and it's worth it to you. Then buy the extended warranty for the peace of mind. Gap insurance, if you're way upside down, you owe a lot more money on the car than it's worth. I mean, a lot more. And if it were to be totaled or stolen, uh, you would be responsible for the payoff balance on the car. And if the car's worth a whole lot less, then you're stuck unless you have gap insurance. So that's what these products make sense under the right circumstances. We sell a lot of this stuff. and But we sell it. To the consumer, we don't just assume they're going to buy it and stick it in there. That's what you have to be careful of, and that's what happens when you buy based on the monthly payment alone. So, you know, a lot of these finance managers and stuff, they're they're really talented people. They're good salespeople. They understand their products. And some of them are, are just shysters, and they're going to play games, and they're not going to fully disclose, and you won't know what you bought. So hopefully you can recognize the difference. Uh, just... Go home and think about it. You know, that's the best insurance about from making a bad deal other than calling me. Call me at 423-552-2020 or email LennyLawson2020 at gmail.com. I'll help you get through this. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.